0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas
1: that's right the co-main event podcast is back for episode eight uh i am your co-host chad dundas i write about mixed martial arts for espn.com uh sitting across the table from me is your other co-host as usual you know this guy from mma fighting it's ben folks ben how are you I'm great.
0: I feel like we're getting to the point now, though, where we should stop numbering the podcasts. You think so? Well, you know, like eventually the UFC is going to be at like UFC 260, and then it's going to be just kind of weird to keep numbering them. I feel like we're kind of getting, basically I'm saying we're, the, we're in the same boat as the UFC. We're that huge.
1: Well, I was thinking when we got to episode 10, I would switch from like writing out the, the episode number to I would go to numerals. Maybe we would go to Roman numerals at some point. I'm not. Hey, if you want to come up with a with like a tagline for everyone, like yeah, co-main event podcast stacked.
0: Yeah, co-main or, event podcast
1: bitter rivals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, for episode sudden eight,
0: sudden impact,
1: high voltage. Uh, I'm excited for this. Is in fact a high voltage episode of the co-main event podcast. I said last week I was excited. My excitement level from last week doesn't even hold a candle to how excited I am this week because we've got quite literally a really big show planned. Uh, uh, I guess I should tell you this straight off the top. In this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast, there's so much stuff going on in the, in the world of mixed martial arts this week, we will be dispensing with our normal recurring features. Uh, so there will be no just saying stuff, there will be no... Uh, tips for the well-rounded fight fan I'm sure the most disappointing thing to all of you will be that there is in fact no uh, master tweet theater this week Um,
0: that's right we we gave Sir Nigel Longstock the week off uh, for him to rest his voice and uh, come back strong and I know that's sad that's sad for everybody I, I was just in Vegas at the the expo and at UFC 148 and I heard from From many of you, how much you enjoyed Master Tweet Theater. In fact, I heard from more of you who enjoyed Master Tweet Theater than enjoy the podcast somehow. Uh, But yeah, this is a big one. This is a special, special show. We got to use all our time wisely. We might even still go over an hour so in advance. I'm telling you, don't bust our balls over it. We're going to do the best we can. Uh, But this is a, a championship edition. of the co-main event podcast
1: for the first time ever the co-main event podcast this week will be going five full rounds so ben i hope you've got your cardio together i know i've been in the gym all week
0: yeah you got to be ready to go to the championship rounds deep Uh, water and and we
1: promise that next week master tweet theater will return stronger than ever uh, before we move on, though, last week we promised you that this week would begin the, the co-main event podcast's first ever listener contest. And we want to be true to that, so we'll briefly tell you about what we've got in mind. Um, our, our intent is, is to launch this afternoon on the website, today being Tuesday when the podcast comes out, uh, the first ever CME White Elephant Essay Contest. And basically what this is, is it gives you, the listener, a chance to write us more really, really long screeds about what you think, which you frankly already do.
0: Yeah, because let's be honest, some of you with your questions that you send in for listener mail, they're basically essays already. Uh, Now you can just drop the pretense that you're asking us a question and instead just pose it as a damn thesis. Uh, and go with it that way, and we'll probably all be better off, because the questions get longer every week, it seems.
1: Essentially, in a nutshell, what you will be asked to do is write a 500 to 1,000-word essay on mixed martial arts. We'll have a couple of prom- prompts up at the website that you can go to and choose from. Yeah, we're doing uh, this
0: high school English class It's style.
1: totally high school English class style. Uh, pick the question that you like the best. Uh, write the best essay that you possibly can, adhering as closely as possible to the submission guidelines that will be posted on the website. Email it to us as you typically would a question and the winner, probably several winners, I would think, depending on the number of entries we get. Oh, yeah.
0: We're going to choose several winners because we got a bunch of crap that we yeah. got to get rid of. You
1: guys will receive wonderful white elephant prizes from the personal homes of myself and Mr. Ben Folks.
0: Yeah. And
1: probably and MMA related, unless we run out of stuff. Yeah,
0: And then, you know, Baskin Robbins gift cards, that kind of stuff. We
1: talked a little bit about this last week. Um the t shirt that I'm wearing right now is an IFL Portland Wolfpack t shirt. Yeah.
0: A, let's say a well loved IFL Portland Wolfpack t shirt. You know what they that call that They it? call it this on. distressed. That's <laughs> <is> what <laughs> they call it yeah. in the fashion industry. But see, that's the kind of thing. I mean,. You can't go out and buy a pre-distressed Portland Wolfpack T-shirt. No, you cannot. You can only get it in a white elephant essay contest like this one. Or, for instance, where else are you going to get a UFC 92 program signed by Sir Nigel Longstock himself? That's what you're looking at here. And you'll know that it has been in our homes uh, collecting dust, uh, Montana dust, a special kind of dust, And then we're just going to take it, ship it straight to you. We'll even pay the shipping costs uh, for this bad boy. That's how much we care about you, our listeners. Uh, All you have to do is go to comaineventpodcast.com, check out the rules of the essay contest, and uh, get your shit together. Let's see if you
1: people can write. So that's it in a nutshell. Uh, Before we get started. We should also mention, though, you and
0: I are both uh, former uh, teachers of freshman correct. composition at the correct. University of Montana. We will
1: be submitting this to two former English teachers. So keep that in mind yeah. as you go forth loudly and proudly. Uh, Before we get started with the podcast proper, we will always do listener mail. Uh, We asked for your questions this week and you guys responded in kind. You emailed us some questions to the email address comaineventpodcast at gmail.com or you submitted them just by going to the website comaineventpodcast.com and hitting the link at the top of the page. Uh, It's a bit of a truncated episode this week. We're going to only have two listener mail questions, uh, but I will get to those right now. The first question is from Spencer Quilos or Quilos and it says uh we always say that Chail is the guy who's bringing wwe to mma question mark i mean don't get me wrong i liked i like silva and i like Chail. i'm pretty pumped to watch the clash of styles so clearly this was written before ufc 148
0: <laughs> uh it also says amped you you do a lot of paraphrasing when
1: you i'm doing things. a lot of paraphrasing okay um Spencer goes on to say the Chael antics are definitely amusing, but dot, dot, dot Stephen fucking Seagal claiming that he quote unquote taught Anderson some new moves that we all thought were illegal before question mark. So I think what he's getting at is, yeah, we rag on Sonnen for his antics and his pro wrestling style uh, demeanor. And yet Anderson Silva is parading around asking us to believe that Steven Seagal is essentially coaching him for these high level MMA fights. Ben?
0: Yeah, no, I mean. In honesty, I found it uh, more believable that Mr. Fuji uh, was a martial arts expert with uh, super secret powers, uh, such as powers to blind you that cannot be uh, overlooked, than I find it believable that Steven Seagal is really teaching Anderson Silva a bunch of stuff. What I can't figure out about it, though, is what Anderson Silva thinks. Like, is he fucking with us? Does he yeah. really like Steven Seagal and think like, oh, well, hey, the guy wants to say that he's teaching me more than he is, then okay, he can he can hang out. I, I like having Steven Seagal here. What's What the hell's going on inside we his We may head? never
1: know. We may never know what uh, the Team Blackhouse really thinks of Steven Seagal. The thing that gets me about Seagal is like when you see him, it's not even like he's a human being. He's become <laughs> such a caricature that he's like a, some kind of terrible beast. Like if you saw that guy at the bus station, you would be frightened of him, and yet in his, in his own mind, I think he probably still considers himself to be a very, very famous film star. Yeah, who knows what
0: goes on in his mind? That's the crazy thing about it. But, yeah, is that kind of like a pro wrestling thing? Tough to say how Anderson Silva means for us to take that. Uh, I just think it's hilarious that every time Steven Skull shows up somewhere looking ridiculous, uh, Ariel Helwani is going to interview him and going to refer to him as Sensei Seagal. Which, yeah, you uh, know, and, and I time. saw Ariel
1: take some heat on about that on, online, but seriously... I would assume that Ariel is just—I mean, he's in on the joke. He's—he's he's it to the—to the, to the I, hilt.
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, I even get on Ariel's case about how often he interviews Steven Seagal and how Steven Seagal is always guaranteed to get some camera time when Ariel's around. At the same time, later when I'm looking at the site and I see, you know, a Steven Seagal interview, I'm watching it. You know, it gets clicks. People want to see what the hell is going on with Steven Seagal. So there's some logic to it.
1: All right. Question number two this week comes from a a man who identifies himself only as Michael the Swede. Nice. Which I couldn't be more into. His question is... That's what we
0: need around... Otherwise, if you just give us your real last name, Chad's either going to fuck it up or offer like three different pronunciations for it. So you might as well just choose an awesome name like Michael the Swede.
1: Michael the Swede asks, I have two questions for you guys about crowd atmosphere inside MMA arenas. How much do you think it affects fighter performance, And what is the best MMA crowd that you have ever witnessed at a live event? Ben, you went to that one in Brazil, which I assume is going to take the cake, but go ahead.
0: That one was pretty crazy. You know, the thing is, it's tough to say how much it has an effect on the fighters because they won't ever admit to shit like True, that. True, yeah. You know, I went and did a, a piece the next time the UFC went to Brazil where I went back and talked to a bunch of, you know, the Americans, the foreign fighters who had fought on the UFC Rio card. Uh, And, I mean, that one was crazy, and it was really vitriolic. Like, they were, uh, the the Brazilian fans are are not only, you know, loud and strongly in support of their guys, but just, like, this ferocity where they're yelling at these people that they're going to die, sometimes in a foreign language, so it's arguable whether they even, the American fighters even knew it. Uh, But, you know, you really could feel that, that, I don't want to say hate, but just, like, passion uh, when their their guys came out when the American fighters came out. So, But the, all of them would say no, you know, it was interesting, I definitely noticed it, but it didn't affect me once I got in there. So, maybe they're lying. I, I mean, you look at that card and the Brazilians won I think only one uh, Brazilian lost to a non-Brazilian that night. But then at the same time uh, the matchups did some of that. Um, so, I don't know how much, as far as the craziest one I've ever seen I mean, that crowd, it, it's different, especially when you go abroad, because the Brazilian crowds are crazy in one way. Uh, the Swedish crowd in, in Stockholm that was crazy in a different way, uh, and was also like you know the kind of thing gives you goosebumps to see. But then uh, I mean being in Vegas this weekend that was a, a kind of a crazy crowd. Being in Portland when Randy Couture fought Big Nog there was crazy crowd. So you, I mean the crowds are different everywhere, and they're even different city to city in the United States. Uh, so it, it's hard to compare them. Chad, what's the craziest one of yours? I'm going to go
1: with two, I think, as a tie. I was at UFC 47 the first time that Chuck Liddell fought uh, Tito Ortiz, and that was a crazy atmosphere when it came time for the uh, main event. It was just, you know, people say electricity in the building, and that was kind of like the first time I've ever really experienced that firsthand. It was just uh you know mayhem in the arena it's almost to the point where when i think back on it now i can barely even remember the fight just because the people were going so ape shit everywhere around me uh that and i would also say at ufc 52 when hughes fought trig for the second time that moment when uh when hughes comes back from certain defeat and picks frank trig up and carries him uh, across the octagon it was like kind of we all made uh, board game faces like we all jumped out of our seats and like literally put our hands on our heads like everyone in the arena was just
0: struggling th- to keep your head on your shoulders yeah it's
1: like those crazy faces that people are always on, making on the cover of board games when you know there's no fucking way you're really having that much <laughs> the, fun. the whole family's having game. fun in those i right. would
0: say also uh when uh kane velasquez beat brock lesnar uh in anaheim uh that was one where you could definitely feel the, the crowd kind of explode at that moment
1: well, that's it for listener mail this week. If you have a question for us for next week's show, uh, hit us up at the, at the website, co Click the link at the top of the page that says Ask the Podcast. But without further ado, because we've got so much to get to this week, we're going to go ahead and begin round one right now. In case you didn't know, Anderson Silva essentially reaffirmed his position as both the greatest middleweight mixed martial artist of all time and I would say the greatest mixed martial artist of all time last weekend at UFC 148 when he stopped the guy who I think will go down as his biggest nemesis and probably the marquee opponent for Anderson Silva's title reign, Chael Sonnen, via strikes in the second round of their main event. Uh, fight in las vegas it was not without some middling controversy though ben as uh this week people are all a twitter on twitter i would say about oh, uh, i see i
0: see what you yeah mean.
1: he's like that um, That's clever. about various indiscretions by silva during the fight including but not limited to gr- allegations of greasing grabbing of the shorts illegal strikes etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, what do you make of any and all of this
0: well greasing he definitely did that uh, I mean, he was touching his face and then clearly trying to rub it off on his body. We've seen him do that before, though. Um, and Eve Levine, somebody caught him, and uh, I don't know if it's Eve Levine who actually saw it and, and and took the initiative there. But they they tiled him off beforehand, so I'm not sure how much of an effect that had. Uh, the grabbing of the shorts, he definitely did that too, yeah, several he did times. The shit out of that, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and got away with it pretty much. I mean, nothing really happened to him as a result of it. Uh, the illegal strike allegation, watching it live in the arena, in my view, was not the greatest. It was kind of a, an obstructed position where I was. Definitely looked like a blatantly illegal strike. But then you saw it on the replay.
1: Looked, it was not. Yeah. yeah the look, UFC like, was actually very good. Johnny on the spot with that. They had yeah. that replay right away to show that it was not, in fact, an illegal strike.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it uh, it's risky. that Either you don't give a damn about the rules at that point, or you feel like you were such an accurate pinpoint striker that you can throw a lunging knee, you know, a couple centimeters below the guy's chin and not worry that he's going to move or it's going to strike somewhere you don't want it to and end up disqualifying you from the fight. But you can't argue. I mean, it did that knee did not hit him in the head. So no. uh, that, I think, is a non-issue. The, the shorts grabbing, I think, is is a bigger deal because he definitely got away with it and they, he used it to help him several yeah, times he in the did. Fight. The
1: thing that kind of gets me about this discussion is that it seems like... Uh, people even now are unwilling to talk about this fight w- in any reasonable way. It seems like the, everyone is still uh, at one pole or the other. It seems like you either, like, if you say that Anderson Silva, like, cheated a little bit, people immediately jump down your throat saying that, like, you're trying to discount his victory, you know, either that or, like, the other people, the rabid Sonnen fans say that, like, he did, in fact, cheat, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. Like, clearly he did grab the shorts, uh, and the you know the shorts grab that has been most talked about is the one where he grabs him by the shorts and punches him twice. Uh, the one that I thought had the most effect on the fight was actually earlier. Yeah, when he when stopped the
0: takedown one. when they're
1: up against the cage and yeah. Eve Levine and like pretty crafty from Silva. Eve Levine kind of rotates around the action so he's on the opposite side and then Silva grabs a big old handful of shorts to stop one of Chael Sonnen's takedowns. Um, so I would like to think that if we were going to have a nuanced discussion about this and rule breaking in general in in MMA. W- it's possible to say, yeah, Silva cheated a little bit, as do a lot of the great uh, sports athletes you know, that we know of. And and at the same time, I don't really think it besmirches his victory that much.
0: No, neither do I. And, I mean, I don't necessarily blame a guy for seeing what he can get away with, trying to get away with what you can. Uh, I mean, that's on Eve Levine to, to stop that, to, to do something about it. I don't think that he did anything in the moments that – that brought about the end of the fight that you can really take issue with. Sure,
1: I will say though that one of the things that gets me about this about the way that we talk about rule breaking in this sport is that I feel like one of the things that people oftentimes do is be like, "Well, the rule breaking didn't have anything to do with the end of the fight." Yeah. When in actuality, like, who knows what would have happened? What would have happened if Sonnen if Silva didn't grab Sonnen's shorts during that takedown? Like, if Sonnen gets that takedown. Like that round might be over because we saw in the first round yeah. he took him down in seconds and dominated the first round of action. So like I don't fully buy into the the hypothesis. Like if you're not cheating at exactly the moment of your victory, <laughs> yes. that your cheating didn't impact the end of the fight. I think That's it true. definitely did. Um, but you know my feeling. You you yes have, have I know
0: I, I I love your theory. For those of you who haven't heard it, Chad's theory is that. Uh, when in doubt, you should always cheat in an MMA fight.
1: Always, always, always cheat in an MMA fight. And the thing is, it's not, I'm not going to really blame Anderson Silva for the cheating. Uh, I blame more of the way that the, the rules are officiated, uh, you know, as the rules are written, and by the, by the official in the cage. Because if you are Anderson Silva or, say, a guy like Chuck Liddell, it absolutely makes sense for you to cheat in an MMA fight. It absolutely makes sense for you to grab the shorts. If you're Anderson Silva to try to stop Chael Sonnen from taking you down, just as in numerous Chuck Del fights, it absolutely made sense for him to grab the cage to stop his opponent's takedowns. Because what you're essentially just doing is pinkies out there, yeah, poke the catch guy in the, in the eye, eye. right? Uh, what you're essentially doing is making a gamble that, as a deadly, accurate, powerful striker, <laughs> by grabbing the cage, you will stay on the feet and eventually end the fight via knockout. At which point, even if you even if yeah, you even were if deducted you have a point, to the taken point away, so and, what? And let's fight, Let's face it: like getting a point deducted is like the worst. Case scenario for that yeah. cheating. Usually,
0: you have to uh, commit that same exact offense uh, at least two times, sometimes three or four times before you actually get a point taken away. Yeah,
1: and as long as you're Anderson Silva, who can reasonably assured of, of finishing the fight, you know, via knockout, yeah, it doesn't matter. It has no effect on the outcome of yeah, the fight. you can and, lose
0: ten points, and it doesn't matter. Yeah,
1: and he, and you know, he, he, from what I saw, did two pretty egregious shorts grabs in two different uh, situations in the fight, and did not even get a warning. So.
0: It's also the kind of thing where, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant is going to get away with a little more yeah, exactly, uh, than uh, you know some no-name guy is, and it's kind of the same with Anderson Silva, where if he goes out there and grabs the shorts a little bit, uh, maybe even just effectively daring Eve Levine to do something about it with uh, the, you know, the greatest mixed martial arts fighter in history, yeah, maybe you get away with it a little more. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes in a lot of different sports. Maybe. But I also though think though a lot of people are making more out of this than there is. Like, yeah, I mean, sure. he didn't do anything that, that made Chael Sonnen decide he suddenly wanted to throw spinning shit, at, as Nick Diaz would say, <laughs> uh, and wound up on his back. I mean, Chael made that mistake on his own.
1: Yeah, no, Anderson Silva didn't win this fight because he cheated. He won this fight, frankly, because Chael Sonnen fell down, which I assume we will talk about at length in round number two. I guess the question at hand now for Anderson Silva he seems to have vanquished his biggest foe in the in the middleweight division. At least the highest profile foes. I think you can make the case that there are some other guys who could possibly threaten him in the division right now. But you know what now for this guy who's thirty seven, thirty eight years old? He's the greatest of all time. I think anything he does in the middleweight division from here on out is gonna fa- is gonna you know pale in comparison to this this feud with Chael Sonnen. What does he do, man? Like does he just trundle on and fight guys like Mark Munoz and maybe Chris Weidman at the expense of like. You know, probably not his legacy, but at the same time, like, not, you know, nothing he will do from here on out, I think, will equal the, the feud with Sonnen.
0: Yeah, and that seems what like what he is perfectly willing to do, is to just keep going on for a couple more years uh, and keep taking whatever fights there are in the middleweight division. Who could really blame him for that? I mean, I think that if, if Hector Lombard wins his UFC debut, then, you know, the UFC is going to jump all over that and take an opportunity. They can They can sell that fight. Uh, especially if Lombard looks halfway decent in the victory. Uh, and then I think Anderson Silva probably smashes him. You know, maybe beats winner of Munoz, Wieden. Maybe beats the winner of Stan Bisping. You know, who knows? I think what more people are going to want to see is a super fight of some sure, kind. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, and during the press conference, people were asking, "Would you be interested in a fight with John Jones?" And Anderson Silva seemed pretty adamant that he would not be interested in that. Nor uh, would I. <laughs> <a bit. laughs> but then when we asked Dana White about it after the press conference, his reply, you know, in typical Dana White fashion, was, "Well, hey, he said he wouldn't fight Chael a second time either." And look what happened. Uh, yeah, you I'm know, right. no matter what you say as to what you adamantly will and won't do. Dana White is not convinced. Uh, he's seen it no, before. No, I think
1: that's the thing. My suspicion is that the UFC understands the value of that fight. That's one of the things they're really good at is making the fights that fans want to see. My So my suspicion is that they will full-on back up a bank truck in Anderson Silva's driveway to try to make that fight happen. I'm still not totally convinced that it will. In fact, I would be kind of suspicious, if not surprised, that the fight ever... You know, if a fight does happen, I would Seems be surprised. Seems a lot easier
0: to convince uh, both he and George St. Pierre to take a fight No, yeah, for other. sure.
1: I think that's the one that is most likely, and at the same time, I think that one is probably kind of a long shot. The John Jones fight, which I agree is the one everyone would want to see, it's probably the best fight in the world right now. As far as I'm concerned, it's the one that I would want to see the most. I don't think it'll happen. I, as you said... Anderson Silva, 38 years old, Legacy Secure, 37, se- 37 I years old, Legacy Secure doesn't, you know, he's got no uh, you know, motivation whatsoever to fight John Jones. It's a fight. You know, if he beat John Jones, I guess that would be extraordinary, but aside yeah. from that, like really nothing to prove and or gain. Well, I mean, here's
0: the thing when you, you get to talking about guys like Anderson Silva and we talk about it in a bunch of other different sports is what is he fighting for at this point, right? I mean, he's already rich and famous, especially in Brazil. Uh he's already regarded as definitely the greatest middleweight of all time by most people, the greatest mixed martial arts fighter of all time. So, you know, what is it? Is he sticking around because he just can't bring himself to leave the competition? He loves that, that feeling so much. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what we got the sense with like Chuck Liddell that he just didn't want to walk away from that, that identity, that feeling that he got. Uh, Is that the case with Anderson? I don't know. But at this point, you the how he answers that question why he's sticking around i think dictates a lot about what he'll do because if it is for for legacy uh then you know it'll be easier to convince him to do something like that may be not a great idea for him like if he's 40 years old and he ends up in there with a John Jones.
1: Yeah, that's my, my I mean, the, my my suspicion is that if he sticks around, one of these guys is going to beat him.
0: Yeah, and and, that, and maybe even somebody who does I not think, really deserve to be uh, Yeah, guy.
1: I think like Mark Munoz could beat him. I think, you know, Chris Weidman maybe, although Munoz I think is probably has the better shot just because of his wrestling skills. And to me, that's just like a bummer. You know, I mean, no, no disrespect to those guys; they're all great fighters. But like, if you're Anderson Silva, I don't know if that tarnishes your legacy. But man, well, here's that, that brings
0: up something that Chael Sonnen said, and he said it, I think, the first time he lost Anderson Silva, and he said it again this time, uh, that how he hates when guys come out and say my opponent was the better fighter tonight. That the that the better man won. The better man always wins, as if to say that. How do you know who's the better man? He's the one who won, regardless of how the fight looked before we got to that point. Uh, what do you think of that that sentiment? Is that the final you know, say on who was the better man, whoever got the victory, regardless of what happened up to that point?
1: Uh, I'm torn on it, actually. I mean, I think most of the time it is, and I think when guys say, ah, oh, he was the better man tonight, that's obviously just the fighter ego kind yeah. of doing whatever it can to mitigate the loss. At the same time, with a fight like uh, you know, their first fight, him beats him up for almost five full rounds and uh, then gets caught in a triangle choke yeah he lost the fight he got stopped but he sort of won the moral victory at the time
0: and from what he said later in the you know the two years following that fight up until the second one he gave no indication that he thought that that was true that that Anderson Silva was a better fighter that that he was you know this the superior because if you believed that uh, why would you want to go and rematch him you know it, he definitely thought that he was the better fighter uh, and that he just got caught.
1: Anyway, uh, that, you know, that brings up a lot of interesting things, I think, about Chael Sonnen. And uh, as you have probably guessed, Chael Sonnen is the topic of round number two, uh, which begins right now.
0: Round two.
1: The way Chael Sonnen acted leading up to this fight, I realized that he does not deserve this, that he does not deserve us to feel bad for him in any way, shape, or form. And at the same time, when I saw how he lost on Saturday night, I really honestly kind of felt sick for the guy, like kind of felt sick to my stomach watching it happen, because he's essentially controlling the fight, he had obviously won the first round, the second round was a bit more competitive, but I would argue Chael Sonnen was still winning it. and then he does seemingly what he always does, and that is commit an unforced error, uh, a huge gaff. He steps back. He tries to throw a spinning back fist that, had it landed, would have been awesome, but he didn't land it. But not a it. knockout blow, I no. don't think. Yeah, he, he didn't land it. He fell on his ass, and suddenly... I'm sure to the delight of Silva fans everywhere, just got this terrified look on his face. Like, Oh, holy oh, shit. shit. I just spent the last two years talking shit about the greatest MMA fighter of all time. And now he's standing over me preparing oh, to unleash the fury. Guys. He looks uh, mad right And now. 28 seconds later, the fight was over. Yeah. Um, and like I said, he doesn't deserve that. Like we should probably, you know, people who, who are believers in all things good and right should probably <laughs> be gleeful about this, but I'm just not man. It's, it's, It's a weird thing that a guy as talented as Chael Sonnen and as good at the mental aspect of the game as he seems to be outside the ring appears to be so prone to error and, like, as they said in the 40s, boners uh, inside the (laughs) ring. Uh, Ben, how do you feel about Chael Sonnen's boners?
0: Damn it. Well... You're right that he does have a history with this. I mean, when he fought Paulo Filo for the first time in the WEC, he was just owning Filo. Uh, and then gets himself armbarred. Same thing with the Anderson Silva fight, where he goes and gets himself triangled after and four and a half Damian rounds. And the Damian
1: Maia fight from UFC 95, which only went two minutes. But still, Sonnen was on top. And, you know, winning the fight, you could say. I don't know. I don't know about that one. He kind of got. He got...
0: Hip tossed pretty early on that one, as I recall. Uh, no, he got. Uh, and Demi and Maya, lo-
1: Maya pulled guard on him. Is what happened. I just watched it yesterday, oh, really? so I know. Okay.
0: Um, well, yeah. I mean, that one. I, I don't know if I necessarily feel like I think Demi Maya just surprised him with his submission skills. But yeah, he does have a bit of a history of that kind of stuff. I just wonder. I mean, at what point, when you're Chael Sonnen, you're thinking about your game plan for Anderson Silva? Are you thinking? And spinning, striking attacks. That's yeah. that's how I'll beat this guy. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's not his game. His game is really basic, but it's really effective.
1: Yeah, it's you know? crazy. I mean, and I wrote an article about this on ESPN.com this week. Here we go. You hate to like kind of criticize this guy for a decision that was clearly made like in in a in the wink of an eye, like clearly in under a second, probably more on instinct than anything else. But like, yeah, man. What are you doing if you're Chael Son throwing a spinning backfist in that fight? It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know, man. I would love to know what was going on in his corner. Like, if, they, you know, if that's the moment. Now, where, Chael, now. Yeah, now unleash the spinning backfist, Chael. But, yeah, just.
0: They probably had a code word for it.
1: Yeah. And the Bubble thing, gum, Chael. Bubble gum. <laughs> the thing about it is Chael knows that that's his problem. Like he yeah. essentially admitted it after the last Anderson Silva fight. Yeah. He would he see knows a sports, that he, uh, psychiatrist. To, he knows that almost in almost every single one of his fights, he's been winning and then either gets caught with a submission or makes some kind of dumb mistake to cause everything to fall apart for him. And yet I think the guy is something like 27, 12 and one at this point. Uh, he's been a fighter since 1997, but a fighter in earnest since 2001, 2002, something like that. And yet He can't close this hole in his game, and in a way, it seems like a a hole that you just can't close. Like, it it seems like it would be, A, the most frustrating fucking thing in the world if you were Chael Sonnen, and, two, like, how do you – what do you do about it?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, because that's the thing, especially now, and it's easy to do this in retrospect, but name me the ways in which you could end up in a scenario in a Chael Sonnen-Anderson Silva fight – where Chael Sonnen ends up sitting down with his back against the cage with right. Anderson Silva standing over him. Like Those are just positions that you know, if he follows his normal game plan, he might get into other bad positions, but probably not that one. You know, that, that seems like a, a really hard scenario to, to draw up how you get there. Crazy spinning back fist is definitely one way. And you see how easily Silva got out. I mean, that is one of the things we know about Anderson Silva is that at any time, if you're aiming a strike at his head while the two of you are standing up, there's a pretty good chance that his head's just not going to be there by the time, you know, your strike gets to where it might land. You saw what he did to Forrest Griffin. He just does some, uh, you know, some Matrix shit, and he's not there anymore. So it's a, it's a bad idea for multiple reasons for Chael Sonnen. At the same time, though, I mean, I wonder if, if when he looks back on this fight now, if, if that's really, if he's going to seize on that moment and say, that was like a colossal fuck-up for me. Or if he's going to say, hey, it was a fine idea, I just didn't execute it.
1: Yeah, knowing what we know about him, I think it would be easy for him to let himself off the hook. But at the same time, he's the kind of guy that seems to like really take his losses hard. Clearly, he wears his heart on his sleeve when it comes to like his emotions and disappointment. He I don't think I've ever seen a guy look just facially look as disappointed yeah. as Chael Sonnen after he after he loses. The, he becomes such a different person after he loses. We saw it in this press yeah, conference. He we saw it, it after he did the first it after time, the first fight too. Yeah. Like, and like I said, I think when Chael Sonnen is being himself and not being superstar Billy Graham, he's. Like like, super likable. Yeah, I really think he's super smart. I think he's very forthcoming. I think that he's more honest than almost any other fighter about like the mentality that it takes to be a fighter and about, you know, the mind games that you have to play even with yourself. Uh, And I whenever he is, is, you know, being a normal guy, I really, really like him. And then I think at some point, he just figured out that what he needed to be to do to be a big star was become this over the top persona. And I think my inkling is that he will beat himself up over this one, especially, I think, when he watches the tape and sees, like, you know, the spinning backfist was not born out of desperation. He had Anderson Silva essentially right where you want him, if you're Chael Sonnen, up against well, the cage. Where you well, want him is on his back. On, on his back, yeah, but if you don't have him on his back, where you want him is up against the cage. Yeah, where there's nowhere to, to sprawl to, you're, yeah. You're pressing up against him. You're, you're, you know, right before he did it, Chael tried to hip toss. That didn't work, and then let him go, and then tried the back fist. So it's, it wasn't like he was in a terrible position. He was he was right where he wanted to be. So my suspicion is, I bet he's going to take it pretty hard. Honestly, you
0: know. But now, and here's the thing: after the fight, he he's so gracious, and because there, there were so many different things he could have pointed to and complained about and used as excuses if he really wanted to. Um, but then now, a couple days later, there's these reports that. Uh, You know, and it's hard to know how to take this because we haven't heard anything from Chale himself on it. But where one of his coaches, Scott McQuarrie, is saying, "Uh, No, we want to appeal, or we thought about appealing, but now we're just asking for a rematch, or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's the exact wrong thing you could do here. Because, A, if you really do appeal, you're going to lose and you're going to look like an idiot. Uh, there's no way the the Nevada State Athletic Commission is overturning that. A slow motion replay can tell them that they don't need to overturn. That, well, that yeah, knee and strike. it seemed
1: like the rumors that we saw today that the appeal would be based on the knee strike yeah, seems more really wrong-headed. Grab, yeah. It seems like it should be the shorts and the and or the grease if if that you know is a thing. But at the but same time, there's no time, way that the
0: Nevada State Athletic Commission would want to start that precedent of saying like, well, something happened in the fight. And then two minutes later, it ended for some other different reason. Therefore, we're going to rule it well, a no contest because then you, yeah. suddenly you have no like ten percent of fights will the result will stand. Yeah. You well, know? I don't
1: mean I don't think you're ever going to get the Nevada State Athletic Commission to to rule in your favor on a post fight appeal, in except in some kind of completely bizarre yeah. space junk falls out of the sky and crushes you type you know, scenario. I mean, we've seen
0: uh, athletic commissions before do the right thing on those kind of... But it has to be a pretty blatant foul that the referee just didn't catch or something. But yeah, um, this though, since we haven't heard it from Chael, Chael saying, hey, I I want to appeal. And since he sounded the exact... to be taking the exact opposite uh, road right after the fight, I have to think that this is a zealous coach uh, who is taking this one hard and maybe taking it hard in the wrong direction. And it's kind of embarrassing his fighter a little bit by doing so.
1: Yeah, I mean, for all of Chael's indiscretions he seems like the kind of guy who as he said you know you need to sack up and and take the loss he seems like that is more of his modus operandi than like f- filing an appeal
0: yeah. and plus
1: if you're chael you're still you know you're 35 which is old for an athlete but hey man if you're on that trt maybe he fights <laughs> another 10 years am i right i mean you're still a couple years younger than anderson silva i think we all agree okay, that- I
0: mean here's a good point though the trt thing all right you want to get on anderson silva for grabbing the shorts Uh, and stuff, and and trying to get a little Vaseline on him. I mean, he's trying to get away with what he can get away with, right? You can make the exact same argument about the TRT thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and to an extent, they're both cheating. Where he he says, you know, hey, this stuff is legal. It's legal, you know, if you get the right doctor's notes and and the right permission from the right people, you can do it. Regardless of, you know whether the rest of us think that it should be legal or whatever you know it's an advantage that you can legally seek and and be granted if you go about it the right way uh which is what he did trying to get every advantage that he can right Anderson Silva tries to do the same thing trying to see what he can get away with and it turns out he can get away with a hell of a lot uh I mean there's definitely there are different kinds of, of advantages different kinds of, of cheating at least in my eyes but uh I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's an interesting parallel there.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why the the argument of the hardcore Chael supporter that Silva cheated rings somewhat hollow just because, come on. <laughs>
0: come, this is the – Judge Chad Dundas files a writ of,
1: come on, man. I mean, the thing about Sonnen, though, and I think it's a, a, the thing that gets lost oftentimes in his professional wrestler persona is – how talented he is, man. Like, he's fought, what, almost six complete rounds with Anderson Silva at this point. They fought four-plus in the first fight and one-plus in the second fight. So almost six if you put them both together. And he's won five of those rounds. It just so happens that in the other two rounds, he got stopped both times.
0: It's also weird that uh, Michael Bisping had better takedown defense against Chael Sonnen than uh, Anderson Silva.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In certain ways. And I think that like, I know a reader emailed us a question about whether or not we thought Chael's mind games before the fight actually worked against Chael. And I would say the exact opposite, just because what we saw from Silva in the first round, you know, typically the way Silva starts a fight is he comes out and he circles for a couple minutes, gets the lay of the land about you. And then just he's, he decides he's seen quite enough from you and he just (laughs) fucking lights you up. Uh, he, in this fight, he came straight across, ran straight across the octagon and came out winging punches. And I think, you know, that allowed Chael to take him straight down. Which well, I think I mean, if you're Chael Sonnen, that's exactly what you want.
0: And for Chael Sonnen, that Sonnen, he did exactly what he said he would do. And what he did in the first fight is not give Anderson Silva that chance to, to dance around and figure out your timing. Just rushed right at him, grabbed him in take takedown and put him down. I mean, I guess the, the question, we asked the same thing for Anderson. Let's ask it for Chael. What now? What do you do now with Chael Sonnen?
1: Well, I don't think he'll retire. I don't think, you know, that was, that was his... Uh, that he promised before the fight that he would retire if he didn't win this. But I don't really see that there's any reason for that. Like I said, you know, the guy is one of the more talented fighters in the sport. I think that, you know, if I had to guess, or I mean, if I was asked my opinion, I'd say he might be that he might have the best takedowns in the sport. He's certainly on the list for uh, best wrestler in the sport. I don't see that there's any need for him to hang it up. I think he can just kind of keep doing what he's doing. Uh, You know, any more kind of dumb, dumb luck, wrong-headed losses for him would be bad. But I think you kind of bide your time and wait for Anderson Silva to retire and then hopefully get another shot at the title, don't you? You know,
0: what I wonder is if how interested people are going to be to see Chael Sonnen... It, like, do they want to see him do that, that wrestler shtick and just whoever he gets? Uh, you know, does he suddenly... If he fights Mark Munoz, does he suddenly have a thing against, you know, Filipino-Americans that he that he pursues? You know, he didn't really do it against Brian Stan. Uh, he didn't really have much of a... Enough of a lead up to do it against Michael Bisping. Do people really want to see him run that same con again, or does he have to choose, choose a different thing? I mean, how it's a tough thing when you've had two shots at the, the title in a short span and haven't been able to get it because then it makes you seem like you know you're just here for the hell of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it would be interesting, like to Rich see, Franklin, for instance, for, exactly. I think it would be interesting to see Chael just be Chael from this point on. I think it would open, you know, it would open doors for people that I think haven't seen that side of him very much he tried that a while back and yeah well i mean now though he's already he's already arrived so anyway uh future opponents for anderson silva future opponents for chael sonnen i think that dovetails nicely with what we're going to discuss coming up next in round number three round three The next installment of the aptly named the UFC on Fuel TV comes your way this weekend. Or no, this week. Wednesday, right? eleventh, Wednesday night. uh, Featuring a main event of Mark Munoz versus Chris Weidman. And that is essentially the only fight on this card that I think begs talking
0: about. How dare you? How dare you insult Kenny Robertson that way?
1: Uh, hey, man, if you want to tell our listeners a little bit about Kenny Robinson, <laughs> the man appearing in the co-main event of this event who does not have his own Wikipedia page, if, uh, go in for the it. I
0: thought the co-main event is uh, James Tahuna and uh, Joey Beltran. Oh, okay. Well, I, if there it, is a co- There I, doesn't have to be a co-main event every goddamn time.
1: No, I mean, I, that would probably open up a lane for us to talk about the name of our podcast. <laughs> We've actually never discussed on the show before and why it's named the co-main event podcast. Yes, but,
0: very quickly, it's because that is stupid. Yeah. Uh, the, the stuff where... You name something the co main event in order to make the card seem more stacked than it is. No one has ever sat down and said, Oh, wait, there's a co main event? Oh, I've got to see this one. You know, it's just, it's a. It's marketing. It's a promoter bullshit. And since we were looking for some marketing bullshit to help sell our podcast, boom. Boom. It is, in fact,
1: co-main event is, in fact, a contradiction in terms. (laughs) Since the very meaning of the phrase main event means that it is the best fight on the card or the top fight on the card, the main attraction of the night. Anyway... Weidman versus Munoz, a fight I know you're jumping out of your skin with excitement to talk about. Uh, Is this a number one contender fight? Does the winner of this fight go on to fight Anderson Silva, or do you think it depends on uh, whether or not Hector Lombard can get, get by Tim Boach?
0: I think if Hector Lombard gets by Tim Boach and does not look like absolute shit doing it, then he gets it because that's just such an easier fight to sell because you can say to the people who don't really know him, Look at his win streak outside the UFC. Look at look at all, everything he's done. Then he wins one fight in the UFC. It's Stranger comes to town.
1: Everybody loves Stranger. I mean, it's a western. Yeah, how saying.
0: many like all Deadwood episodes are Stranger comes to town plots almost? So you know that that's a that, and there's like three stories. You know, Stranger comes to town. We took a trip we wanted something really bad and here's what we did to get it. Those are like the only three plots really that there are stranger comes to town is a great one. So I think the USC would love that angle to help sell the fight. And I think there'd be, if especially, you know, Lombard goes out there and knocks out Tim boats or something. People then I think would have some legitimate interest that, Hey, you know, he has the puncher's chance. He's just this hyper aggressive, powerful dude. Maybe, maybe he can do something other people haven't been able to do. So those guys might get screwed there, but, uh, you know, if Lombard doesn't win, or even if you just want to be able to be the next in line, then yeah, I think the the winner of this fight is right there. Uh,
1: you know, the middleweight division sure starts looking kind of bleak once you, you know, he, as much as you people. mean, once ha- you cross
0: off the guys that Anderson Silva has already beaten. Yeah, well, but yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, just take Chael Sonnen and Anderson Silva out of the equation, and I was just going to say, as much as people hate on Chael Sonnen for, you know, his antics and his his demeanor and whatnot. Like you take him out of this division, you take Anderson Silva out of this division, and all of a sudden you're looking at a field of guys who, hey man, great fighters. Mark Munoz, I think, really underrated, really, talent- really talented guy. Uh, but and hey, bless his heart, Mark Munoz tries as hard as he can to be like interesting, and and he's a he's not he's a bad the name.
0: nicest dude is, in MMA. He
1: is, but at the same time, like when you interview him before a fight, he does his best to like try to sell it. Just doesn't quite pull it off the way that well it's hard to sell stuff for instance it's
0: hard to sell stuff being nice Uh, i mean especially in in this business
1: i agree but it's just it's just it it looks a little bleak to me and it may you know with the what i think we would at least assume will be the impending retirement of anderson silva within the next year or two uh man where do you go what what do you do there it just seems like uh there are a lot of good fighters but i'm not sure that there are a ton of guys. who are incredibly mi- marketable. I guess you mentioned v- Vitor Belfort, Vitor. who if he still can, hangs on to it a little bit. Yeah, um, if he
0: could not kill himself.
1: Uh, Bisping, I guess, is is one of your more marketable guys.
0: He is, and I think Bisping is a lot better than people give him credit for just uh, a fighter. You know, look how well he did against Chael Sonnen. That one could have gone his way, and I'm sure, yeah, for sure. Bisping would sure angrily in- insist that uh, it should have gone his way. Um, but, I mean, there's one, though, I think, where perception gets in the way. I mean, say Bisping beats Brian Stan and say he even looks really really good doing it. it'd be hard to sell a, a Michael Bisping Anderson Silva fight because still so many fans, I would say wrongly, but you know, persistently regard Bisping as, you know, just kind of a, a chump that all oh, Michael Bisping can get absolutely murdered by Anderson Silva. And I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't take Bisping in that fight. Ah, stylistically I, yeah. it's a nightmare. But uh, at the same time, it's one of those things where even when he does really well and wins fights, people still don't want to give him his credit. But, I mean, we're getting off the topic. We're still, I mean, Mark Munoz, Chris Weidman. Oh, you wanted to bring Damn it back it. to that, did yeah. you? See, I th-
1: see, the early part of this round, I thought you did anything you possibly could to avoid talking about this well, fight. Well, I think. Well, with your discussion of, like, uh, tropes of Westerns, you know, <laughs> tropes of popular fiction.
0: <laughs> well, look, if you if you can't appreciate a conversation about uh, tropes of fiction, then you're listening to the wrong goddamn podcast. Uh, but, I mean, maybe that says something about this card. This is the thing with the Fuel TV cards. Like, you know, I appreciate it. You got a fight in the middle of the week. You got, you know, these these free fight cards on the, an obscure-ish uh, cable channel. It's cool. You know, it gives these, these guys who we don't get to see that often a, a chance to get, you know, in the spotlight themselves without being on the prelim of a pay-per-view that people have to get in on Facebook to watch or something. But at the same time, you start looking around the card... And you see this dilution happening, where what used to be a Facebook prelim is now a TV fight, and then what used to be, you know, just undercard is now main card. Uh, Just when you have more fight cards in almost every single fight ending up on TV, somehow one way or another, you know, you see some stuff that maybe is not TV quality.
1: Yeah, you might have a more up-to-date. Uh, card in front of you than I do, but just looking at some of the fights that are on this card, as we mentioned before, Kenny Robertson versus Aaron Simpson, uh, Raphael Natal versus Andrew Craig is on this card, uh, Raphael Sunsau against... I say Tamura. Am I looking at the right card? Is this
0: <laughs> with your pronunciations? I don't even know. Uh, although, you know you, I, yes, you. I were think those you right? Looking... Did I did yeah, I slaughter
1: yeah. anybody's name? Whose name did I slaughter?
0: Uh, the the last one. I, I don't even know. Uh, I, say
1: you... to, I, I say to I say Tamura. Well, I got the last name right yeah. at least. Yeah,
0: you did get that.
1: You are going to sit over there not knowing how to pronounce that guy's name, but saying that I did it's, it. Wrong. It sounded wrong. It sounded wrong when you said it. Oh, God. Nick Tenner, Nick Penner versus Tom DeBlass. <laughs> you're just going to name them all up, yeah. huh? That's what we're uh, doing? Dillashaw, TJ Dillashaw's on this card against Vaughn Lee. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. There's, I'm not, I'm It would not have been sure. a little
0: better back when it was still James Tahuna and Brandon Vera before Brandon Vera got pulled to fight Shogun after Shogun absolutely refused to fight Glover Teixeira. Uh, does it
1: surprise you, though, uh, at the, you know, I'm just grabbing at straws trying to find a relevant topic here, but does it surprise you that Weidman is the favorite? Over Munoz. Yeah, it
0: does surprise me. I mean, a, he's a slight favorite, uh, but uh, I think he was like minus 125 according to some odds I saw earlier. But, uh, yeah, I would definitely pick Munoz there. I don't know if they think that just stylistically. I mean, a lot of people who are around Weidman and in his camp and stuff are, are really, really super hot on him. And, you know, he's looked good. Uh, but uh,
1: guys that are around him, you mean Matt Sarah and Ray Longo, right? Well, not, not, not oh, okay. just
0: those guys. But, yeah, when those guys are around – when those guys are, are – uh, hot on your your prospects, they're both just so damn loud that uh, everybody... Also, it was great watching them work uh, Costa Philippou's corner.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, When I saw Ray Longo hanging over the top of the fence, I was like, I couldn't help but flash back to the crack we made about Ray Longo riding a bicycle around Long Island (laughs) two weeks ago.
0: Ray Longo still has the the worst uh, body for those affliction-ish style t-shirts that are so popular among MMA sponsors. Just a, a torso like a poorly packed duffel bag. Uh, but you know, <laughs> watching him say that to Costa, uh, Villapu, uh, against, uh, Ricky Fukuda and noticing Fukuda's eye look a little swollen. I remember thinking to myself, oh man, he should, he should attack that eye a little bit. It's the first round. He's already swollen. And no, I couldn't finish the thought. And Ray Longo's over there saying, let's bang up that eye, Costa. Let's bang up that eye. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, man, that's exactly what I need in my life is a little Ray Longo motivation. You know, just let's get that article done.
1: Let's eat the healthy you're breakfast, huh? You're breathing, Benny. You're breathing. <laughs> uh, You've been here a million times before. I'm gonna amend my earlier statement to say: always, always, always cheat in an MMA fight unless you're fighting Costa Filipu because after he got up from being poked in the eye by Ricky Fakuda, holy shit, he looked mad. Uh, <laughs> he did. He
0: couldn't really do that much about it though, because he couldn't see out of his eye.
1: No, yeah, Fakuda probably. That's the thing. That's one of the reasons why you always cheat is like even. For, for a moment, I don't know if you could hear this in the arena, but on TV, they had Philippou nicely mic'd up so you could hear him going, oh my God, oh my God, Well, he was no, on his hands not and knees. That, but he looked and, bad. And for a second, I was like, oh, holy shit, Costa Philippou's eye just exploded, right? <laughs> like, I thought, like, this guy doesn't have an eyeball anymore, uh, but... Even then he didn't take the full five minutes to recover. And yeah, that is one no. of the reasons why you should always cheat. Because as soon as you poke the guy in the eye, even though you cheated, it makes the other guy look like a pussy. Yeah. That's yeah. One of the I best mean and if the bike gets it.
0: stopped then you just walk around like kind of with your hands up, like palms facing the ceiling and that can you guys believe this shit, Jester? And everybody everybody goes for it. I they think the best example of that though is uh, Gabriel Gonzaga, Chris Tusherer. Oh god, uh, yeah. Where Gonzaga punts him right in the pills, just disgustingly hard. Uh,
1: I bet Joe Rogan watches that every night. He,
0: <laughs> he loves a good nutshot replay. They get the vomit bucket out for Tushfer, he's writhing on the floor. They don't seem to, from what he said afterwards, didn't seem like they fully communicated to him that he could stop yeah, and not have thing. it go down as a loss. Afterwards, but then,
1: he came out and said, I was in my corner. I, essentially, he said, I wanted to quit, but no one could tell me like what would happen if I did it. Like Would it be a loss?
0: <laughs> well, then they restart the fight. And, of course, and the fans have gotten really restless over that one. But they restart the fight, and immediately Gabriel Gonzaga looks low and kicks him in the head, which A- ruthless son of a bitch, Gabriel Gonzaga and be pretty smart. Yeah. Very
1: smart. Anyway, anything else you want to say about UFC on TV, fuel TV, five, eight ten? anything else you want to say uh,
0: that I'll, that I'll watch it. I guess that's, that that's more the, than that's I am willing to say. That sir. is the most passionate thing I can say
1: about it. Now, of course I will watch it. Should you watch it? I don't know. Take the, take the night off as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just tune in next week. We'll tell you who won. Anyway, uh, don't don't give up on us yet. Coming, we're going to bring it back to UFC 148 during round three and talk about uh, Tato Ortiz's last appearance in the octagon. He says, and that begins Uh-oh. right now.
0: Ortiz concluded his 15-year MMA career with a decision loss at UFC 148 against Forrest Griffin. Says now that he is totally done, 100% walking away from MMA, retiring as a UFC Hall of Famer. Jed, first of all, you you kind of insinuated that maybe you didn't believe that. What are, you, what are you saying? You think T. Ortiz is showing up, fighting on an offshore barge uh, somewhere
1: off the coast of Portugal soon, or what? Well, oh, I would watch that, for starters. <laughs> if I could score a ticket to that, I would be there.
0: Tito Ortiz versus Tank Abbott.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> With a Golden Retriever refereeing. Uh, no rule says a Golden Retriever can't referee a MMA match.
1: Obviously, I was being a little bit facetious. I am inclined to believe Tito, except you know to the fact that Every time a professional athlete says they're retiring, I think there's a little bit of skepticism lingering in the back of the mind because these guys seem to have such a hard time walking away. That said, I mean, goddamn, that should have been Tito's last fight because even Dana White afterwards said that Forrest Griffin and Tito Ortiz both looked old. Okay, here's the mistaken. thing, though. My thesis. Okay, yeah, let's hear your thesis. This will be a good example for the kids at home. We're gonna, uh, <laughs> they're going to submit to the essay yes. contest this Is an example of a brilliant thesis. First,
0: I'll give you the thesis, and then I'll explain to you kids what makes a brilliant thesis. My thesis. uh, Even in defeat and even looking kind of shitty, and we have to qualify our remarks when we talk about Tito now. uh, Most exciting Tito Ortiz fight in five years, at least. That was your example of a good thesis? Yes.
1: Well... Let me give you some pointers you need to put a because clause on there. oh
0: fuck your because clause. and i'd
1: like to see at least three examples of reasons why you thought it was the most exciting tito ortiz fight. well here's
0: the thing first of all for you kids out there what makes a good thesis is that it seems like a point that somebody else would want to argue with you on <laughs> uh and i knew chad dennis would want to argue with i'm me not gonna argue one.
1: it was i thought it was a pretty exciting you know pretty exciting tito ortiz fight i think is the is the there we go though is the point that's, what to that's what i'm saying
0: uh the, when you look at like some of his past performances, it's either you know, pretty boring and him losing a decision or him just getting the shit beat out of him, Or and then there's the one oddball one of him you know, out of nowhere beating Ryan, Ryan Bader. It's a huge surprise, you know, and I don't want to take away from the guy's win, even though I'm going to. Uh, that one kind of felt like, hey, you throw enough darts at the boredom, you're going to get a bullseye eventually uh
1: yeah you speak to the point of does the better man always win <laughs> i so. see i see
0: what you're saying uh but yeah
1: no see that this was a good fight this was an exciting fight it was this an was exciting fight. fight he drops
0: forrest a couple times i thought i think forrest thought he lost right yeah well i had it scored for tito just but then again i was live blogging the damn thing and when you're writing the live blogs you're never what the, sure what the hell is going on it could be anything you're just trying to type as as, as fast as your eyeballs work and it it's a terrible way to decide who won and lost a fight, but I mean, yeah, forced. You don't walk out of the cage in frustration because you thought, you know, you clearly dominated the guy and won on the scorecards. But that's the thing. When you look at Tito now, maybe it's because the expectations for him are so low that when he does have an exciting fight where he drops the guy a couple times, takes a bunch of punches himself, and keeps coming back, it's like, well, hey, this wasn't so bad. You know, it's like it's like kind of saying like. Best Channing Tatum movie. Oh, you well, know, 21 Jump Street. <laughs> okay, yes. But, like, see, that's the thing, though. You go to see 21 Jump Street, and I'm not going to put 21 Jump Street on, like, my top 10 comedies of all time list. No. But yeah. you go see it, and you're like, that, was, that wasn't that was a horrible waste of an afternoon. That was all right.
1: Yeah. It wasn't no. so bad. Sure. And solid point. I mean... uh what do you make of the uh, of the fact that Tito has been able to make all of these fights with Forrest so competitive? Do you, and especially this last one where I thought I hadn't scored for Forrest, but it was a really close fight. And you know, if it would have gone the other way, I don't think anyone really would have complained. Uh, is is this just the 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 kind of style matchup that that? will eternally make for a close fight? Or do you think that the fact that Tito's been able in the twilight of his career to have such success against a guy who is probably not in his prime anymore, but you would think would be like, we would, we would all kind of expect him to still be superior to a, an elder statesman like Ortiz. Is it a style matchup kind of thing? Or is, is Griffin like further along towards the end of his days as a professional fighter than maybe we thought?
0: I think it's both. I think style wise, uh, Ortiz does give uh, Griffin a, a tougher fight than maybe he gives somebody like Rashad Evans, you know, who is just has him beat on speed alone. Uh, and Griffin doesn't necessarily have that. And Griffin does, also doesn't have tremendous power on the feet uh, to be able to really threaten him there. I mean, he was able to, to hit the hell out of him, but wasn't able to really damage him or, or do anything behind those strikes. So uh, I think that style matchup, something we said for it. also though, Forrest Griffin is not terribly young. I mean, no, maybe true. we still think of him as the the fresh-faced kid off the reality show, but he's like 34 years old. He's been in some battles uh, and he, you know, Dana White was saying that they he thought they both looked old and you can't really disagree with that. Also, it seems like maybe, you know, as Forrest as much as he, he's a gym rat and likes to train, uh, maybe he gets in there and just kind of it's that kind of looked like a Forest Griffin fight to me, you know. Like he's kind of got the same old thing over and over again. Yeah, uh, solid
1: point. Uh, let's talk about the most interesting part of this fight. <laughs> and I know the you walkout
0: know, where I, Tito Ortiz wore the gladiator helmet. Is that, that, would, that what we're I talking would, about? I would,
1: I would classify that as the second most interesting part. <laughs> but I know you know what we're going to talk about. Made
0: now. up fact that I completely made up. That helmet custom-made for his giant head cost $75,000. And
1: that would be another example of how not to do the co event essay contest. Yeah, don't just make shit up. Uh, anyhow. Or do, because we're not going to check The Most exciting sources. part of this fight, at the end of it, uh, Forrest Griffin, bless his heart, uh, I don't think on purpose, and but just as sort of like a spur of the moment, I'm a wild and crazy guy kind of thing, co-opted Tito Ortiz's final post-fight interview in the Octagon, uh, and then... I think as an attempt to crack a joke, asked kind of a dicky question about, hey, Tito, why did you get tired? Was it because they put you in the Hall of Fame? Like,
0: No, the whole thing was a a huge dick move.
1: Yeah, but do you think he knew that when he did it? I think it was just Forrest Griffin was like, oh, hey, I'm Forrest Griffin. Everybody loves me. I'm going to crack these jokes with Tito after the fight. And it just fell flat on his ass and kind of like... It really was yeah. classless. Yeah, yeah is it is was. It and he off.
0: and he seemed to realize it once the, the moment had passed. When he like got when the, Josh
1: Barnett tried to cut the promo after the fight, and like it, halfway through you can tell he's like, oh, this was a bad this idea. This is ten
0: times worse than that. Uh, and he realized it. He apologized several times afterwards. Uh, but, yeah, when you think about that one, you're like – Okay, so it's the guy's final fight. This is like the you know, the Lou Gehrig you know, luckiest man on the face of the earth moment where right. he's standing there with a the microphone and Joe Rogan asking him, you know, gonna gonna give him the the old spike set uh, to just say some great, insightful shit about the end of his career and instead Forrest Griffin grabs the mic, uh, and asks, Why do you think you look so shitty there at the end? I mean that Yeah,
1: and hey, if Forrest Griffin would have done that maybe in his next fight with Stefan Bonner or like, you know, how when he had just lost to some up and comer. It would've gotta, been fine. You, but you gotta just do don't it. do it on the guy on the you you gotta know, do it on against the somebody. icons last fight. Yeah. Don't and, do it on Tito Ortiz's he, last appearance If in you're, you're gonna
0: do that, you better be pretty sure that the person who you are doing the the ambush interview on is the kind of person who's gonna think it's funny also. Because if Tito Ortiz would have laughed along, it would've then you know, then it would have seemed kinda cool. And maybe if you'd done a Stefan Bonner, Stefan would be the kind of guy that You know, maybe he would appreciate it, something like that. Tito Ortiz definitely did not appreciate it. Said so in the the post-fight interview that he thought it was a bullshit move on Forrest's part. And he's totally right. I mean, that's the kind of thing where, you know, sometimes Forrest Griffin, being a a wild and crazy, entertaining guy uh, is kind of fun. Uh, This is one of those times where you just felt embarrassed for him
1: yeah but hey man to tito's credit i would say one of his best post-fight interview answers <laughs> like usually you get tito ortiz on a live mic and he, you know he, any he, nobody nobody looks good during a post-fight interview i think it's amazing that they still so do blue them. bow
0: brawl let me tell you how i'm feeling you're now
1: yeah I, I think it's amazing that they still do these things in the cage because it, it's yeah. never good it's no. never good for anybody tito ortiz especially it's a train wreck you get him on the mic this one you know uh, uh forrest griffin jumps over and asks him kind of an a-hole question and immediately uh, tito ortiz <laughs> is like well I don't know, Forrest Like, kind of gives him the like, hey man, respect your elders. Like, uh Ice Cube. I started this gangster shit. Uh, answer that. Well, you know, at least he didn't. He didn't like I think that was a doctor. Dr. Was it? Not? Was it? Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah. uh no, but still, the the point stands. And
0: though, it the whole thing was just kind of weird, though, because it's like you, you storm out of the cage for one thing, then come back, then seize the mic in the interview. I mean. When you go home at the end of that night, if you're Forrest Griffin, do you walk in the door and just kind of say, rough night at work, honey. I don't, I don't know if this one went so
1: well. I mean, because he won. Uh, he won the damn fight yeah. and still. Well, doesn't he, Dana White, didn't Dana White say he has like $14 million or something like that? You'd think that's going to soften the blow a little bit. He probably just goes home and dives into a swimming pool of money. And uh, Forrest Griffin has $14 million? Yeah, when the whole kerfuffle about fighter pay went on and, and Dana White came out, I citing if, erroneous and and un you if, know verifiable statistics that uh, if, one uh, of the things he said was that they'd made like twenty five millionaires or fifteen millionaires or whatever and he cited some he he talked about it like he knew what Forrest Griffin's bank account balance was and he either said that he had like seven million or fourteen million dollars or something if Forrest like Griffin that. had fourteen
0: million dollars I don't think we'd ever see him again.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, why why if you're Forrest Griffin do you continue on except for that this is the only thing you can do. Uh, and that, and you love it. Which, hey, man, I guess that's admirable. But he doesn't need the money, you would think, right?
0: Well, yeah. Unless I don't know. Unless he does not have fourteen million dollars. I, I don't. You know, he definitely loves the training and stuff. It seems like there's a lot of other crap about this MMA stuff that he could do without. Uh, and you look at him now, and you think, like, what is? What's the best case scenario for the future of Forrest Griffin's career right now? I mean. He's not, probably not going to ever fight for a title again. It doesn't seem like he's even terribly bothered by that. What are you doing? You're just kind of hanging out and seeing like, whoever they can find to match you up with. They don't want to match you up against some up-and-coming contender unless they feel sure that he can beat you because they don't want you knocking anybody who's you know, promotable off the list. Uh, so you're just kind of hanging out fighting other old guys.
1: Uh, speaking of guys who are just kind of hanging out, Strike Force has a show this weekend, uh, and that will be the topic of discussion that we will use to close out the show. You're in... just fucking a segue machine here. Well, you have to be when you're trying to talk about this much stuff, you know, <laughs> especially when I'm sitting over here with the Ben folks, you know, hey, I'm just going to talk for five minutes. Uh,
0: that's oh, that's what we're doing? We're getting to the point in the show where we're just taking shots just at one another? Just personal attacks, yes. Yeah. Nice t-shirt. right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Says the guy in the professional wrestling t shirt. Anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on to round number five, which starts right now.
0: Round five.
1: Uh, two of Strike Force's three existing male titles will be on the line this weekend. When is this fight? Saturday night, yeah. Saturday night They'll be on the, be on the line this Saturday night. Uh, luke rockhold will defend his middleweight title against tim kennedy but maybe more interesting to me is the return of nate marquardt uh in a welterweight title fight against uh, teron woodley uh, strike force is going to put its uh, welterweight title back on somebody for the first time since nick diaz vacated it to go uh chase his ufc dreams uh ben the return of nate marquardt a guy that you've spent some time around what do you make of it and what do you what do you think for his future like what is this just a stepping stone for marquardt to get back into the ufc or is this kind of like second tier show as good as it gets for him now
0: you know i think a lot will depend on how he looks against tyron woodley it, it's especially since he hasn't fought in well over a year uh he had to get off the trt which you know of course anybody who's on trt will have us believe that they absolutely goddamn need it uh or their arms and legs are going to fall off uh, but then it turns out that uh once you get in trouble for it it is possible to get off of it who knew uh but you combine all that stuff, then he goes in here you know, to fight a, a great wrestler, uh, and he's been out of action for a long time. It's not a given that he's going to go in there and win that fight. If he just gets flat out out-wrestled and, and loses there, then, especially with his age, it becomes a lot harder to imagine him back in the UFC at some point. Uh, especially since they are dying for guys that they can put in strike force and keep some, some semblance of action going on. I mean, as we were Talking about like you look at this this fight card. And you know, I I like Strike Force. They think they have some good fighters. I think the Luke Rockhold Tim Kennedy fight and that's the one I'm most excited about, definitely. I think it's a it's a really interesting fight and I like both those guys and enjoy watching them. You look down the lineup here though, and it's like they took the the box, like the cardboard box full of Strikeforce fighters and turned it upside down and just shook it. Shook it up, turned it upside D- just, down. Just just to see everything that would that would fall out. You know, you got all the strike force regulars on here pretty much. You got Pat Healy on there, you know, Keith Jardine now who who's been strike force for a little while. You got Roger Gracie, you got Jorge Maspidal, you know, you, you get Jason High, Ryan Couture, all of these guys. I mean, if if you're in Strike Force, if you're a Strike Force fighter and you're not injured, and they didn't put you on this card. What the hell does that say about you?
1: Uh, we'd have to ask Jacare Souza, right? Like, <laughs> or is he injured? I don't know. I can't keep track of these guys these days. Uh, for me, the the weird thing about Marquardt was that it, he was the first guy, really, to like test positive for TRT or the elevated testosterone. He kind of like touched off this, uh, you know, at least public understanding of the, of the this movement where guys are are on this stuff. Uh, And it was almost more damning for me when he got off TRT than when when he admitted that he was on it. Because, you know, in the initial public appearance that he did on Ariel's show... uh, you know, he, he I thought, you know, initially before uh, it turned out lots of guys are doing this, I thought that that went about as well for Nate Marquardt as you possibly could have imagined, just because he was he seemed genuine. He seemed very, you know, heartfelt in his, in all of his talk about how this was a thing that his doctor said he needed to do to compete safely. And uh, he, he credited it with saving his marriage etc cetera, etc cetera. now uh, turn around to some a year later or so he kind of wants us to think it's not a huge deal like he just thought it was a trifle this yeah. thing that he was trying out and now he's like oh oh don't worry i'm doing other stuff yeah. now that now let's never speak of it again yeah and it's it's strange to me it's it's uh, well for one thing it's it's an example of a guy just kind of desperately trying to control the story which never really works it doesn't really come off that well and secondly i don't know how these guys expect us to take it when when like chel Sonnen said he's he would die without it uh now suddenly nate Marquard just is kind of like ah no big deal really i'm fine don't worry yeah. about it
0: <laughs> or i will have to
1: you know, drink an extra protein
0: shake and eat, a, eat an extra banana every day or something. Yeah, it, obviously, if you can get off of it and continue fighting. And I talked to Tyron Woodley about this uh, for a story I'm doing this week, and he was saying that, you know, when he talks about it, he says, oh, no, he's supposedly off it now. And I was saying, well, do you think that, are you, are you saying you don't really think that he's off it? He's like, oh, no, if he says he's off it, then I guess he's off it. But, hey, if you needed to be on it, you know, to, to fight these... Kind of contender bouts in the UFC. Now you get a chance to come back and fight a title fight. If you ever needed it, wouldn't this be the time? You know, if anything, you're only older now. Like, why? If you if you could be off of it, if you if you ever genuinely needed it, wouldn't you need it now more than ever? Uh, which I think is a fair point.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right about Rockhold and Kennedy. Uh, that That's a good fight. I think that's a fight that I, I know that I'm interested to see. I think it's a fight that, that everyone will probably, you know, at least hardcore fans will want to watch. At the same time, though, uh, with our discussion just a few minutes ago about the UFC middleweight division and, and how it looks a little bleak if you take the top couple guys off, off the list, it seems to me like a guy like Rook, Luke, Luke Rockhold, I almost said Rook Lockhold there, or Rue Cockhold, that would be awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, a guy like Luke Rockhold, and he, and a guy like Tim Kennedy, both both would be guys that I think you would like to see in the UFC uh, middleweight division. And and I think that, they share the weird... that that, that yeah. opinion. No, uh,
0: and you could see them. And I I don't know how much of it is a genuine feeling on their part, and how much is a savvy PR ploy, and maybe both that they were both really quick to get out there and publicly criticize Anderson Silva for uh, his. Some of his rule bending over the weekend, which is smart on their part. They they have to find a way to get themselves in the headlines. Uh, If they can do it by you know calling out this fraud champion in the UFC, then hey maybe that helps you build up enough heat for the winner. God knows they both jumped on it pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, who all did call out Anderson Silva? I know Rashad did on Twitter right after the fight, which seems like a terrible idea for him. <laughs> uh, I guess Luke Rockhold did. Luke yeah.
0: Rockhold and Tim Kennedy both. They both uh, did. They they both kind of attacked Anderson Silva. But again, yeah, it's a kind of a bad situation for those guys right now. Like, what are you supposed? Especially say, Tim Kennedy wins this and then rematches Jacare Souza. At that point, all you're doing is just it's a revolving. Uh, Title fight scenario at the top of the 185 pound division in Strike Force. And it's hard enough to drum up interest for this fight. You know, if after this, either way it goes, what the hell are you supposed to do?
1: Yeah. I, and it brings, you know, the UFC, it seems like they're kind of locked into this Strike Force deal with Showtime. I uh, mean, it kind of makes me wonder why, you know, why not just, would it be better or worse to just change Strike Force's name to, you know, the UFC? Bushido uh, (laughs) tour or something like that. Can they do
0: do steroids in UFC
1: Bushido? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You just pee in a paper cup. That's the drug test. You hand it to somebody and then you never see it again. uh, (laughs) Never hear anything back about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a terrible idea to try and keep a promotion alive in this way because the fighters don't want to be there. The, The fans pick up on that. You know, that's just not the real deal. And even if the fights are legitimately interesting, like this Luke Rockhold, Tim Kennedy bout, you know, as Tim Kennedy said, when I talked to him about it, like, even if I beat Luke Rockhold, I'll know that that's a big deal. Cause Luke Rockhold's a really good fighter, but who else will care? Like, I'm not going to get any more fans. He claimed the people in my profession. I assume he means the media, uh, won't really think anything extra of him because of it. You know, it's just kind of killing time. And then, How much longer is this going to go on? Like, that's the thing nobody seems to have a a firm grasp on. If you could tell these guys, hey, stick it out until the end of 2012, uh, then brand new world. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like the UFC can tell them exactly right now what what their future
1: looks like. Yeah, and for these two guys, it's a real, I mean, it's almost a situation where we think Luke Rockhold is a really good fighter. Like, he, he seems super athletic. He seems like a huge prospect. Uh, and for Tim Kennedy too, at the same time, it's almost hard to tell even how good these guys are or where they would shake out in the UFC uh, 185-pound division just because we haven't seen them ag- against much competition yet. Um, well, but, but, but if I told you, if I said you could only watch one show this week, would you watch UFC on Fuel TV or would you watch Force? I would watch Force. So there you go. So it's got, some, it's got some meaning, right? It's got some panache. I
0: mean, to me, a person who uh, follows this sport for a living – if I mean, I think you have to remember that for a lot of the people, just the UFC brand name is seems like that's the sport to them. You know, sure. trying to explain what Strikeforce is, plus, you know, if they don't have Showtime to begin with, uh, you know, you're you start knocking off these people. You, you also you get an idea of how a lot of people just come to associate like. Well, this channel is the channel that I watch fights on like when Spike TV counterprogrammed a live heavyweight championship fight on Fox and they counterprogrammed it with an old event and still got like over a million people. I can't remember the exact number, but it was definitely over a million people who saw it on TV at the same time as a real did not know enough to know that there's a live fight happening somewhere else, but saw it and were interested enough to sit down there and watch it. That's fucking baffling. <laughs> I mean, that shows you something about people's TV-watching habits when it comes to, like, sports that they're, you're vaguely familiar with. So, I mean, sure, I know that this card is a better card and has a lot more interesting stuff going on than UFC on Fuel, where we had to see Kenny Robertson in action. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you, know, you only know of the UFC or it, and if... if Someone tries to explain force to you, you know, and it, it sounds like a hokey TV show. You know, that that kind of stuff, you, you're only getting the hardcores here and the hardcores with Showtime. Like, have you ever tried and watch a force card, like, at a bar? you ever tried to find a bar that has Showtime? that'll No, why, that'll show why it? would I ever do that? I tried to do it once in Maui to watch uh, Nick Diaz and KJ Noons, and I was on vacation during when that fight was happening. And you call up a sports bar and ask them if they have Showtime and if they're showing the Strikeforce fight, and they treat you like they can't decide if you're pranking them or if you are mentally retarded. <laughs> <laughs> they seem evenly split on which one it might be.
1: Wow. Well, I, I think that that is probably as good a note to end on as, <laughs> as any, right? Uh, five rounds today. We put them in Woo. the books. Man. Time to shower up, hit, the, hit yeah. the sauna, hit the hot tub, get a rub down. You know,
0: people tell you how, how tough the championship rounds are, but you don't know until you've been there.
1: Yeah, I feel like we did two shows today. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah, I
0: feel like this show took some years off of my career.
1: Be sure to check the website later on. uh, On Tuesday, we'll have the rules and regulations for the essay contest. You're not going to want
0: to miss that. I mean, your chance to get a gift from our offices. Also,
1: yeah, not not that we need to sweeten the deal anymore, but one thing I forgot to mention at the top of the show, if you win, we'll publish your essay on the website. How about that? You will become a published writer. Yeah, literally... Thousands of people will read your essay, possibly, or literally, or thousands just of people down.
0: will have the chance to read your, essay. read your essay.
1: So keep that in mind. You know, when you check out the rules and the submission guidelines, uh, be sure to enter for that. We don't want this thing to fall on its face. Also, uh, there's some really good stuff on the line um but that that's that's the show for this week we'll be back next week we'll we'll wrap up these two spectacular cards this week and and talk about a bunch of other bullshit that will come up i'm sure in the next five or six days sound thrilled
0: absolutely thrilled
1: should you want to do it again should i cut it again do take two <laughs> no we don't do take twos here i was just kidding uh that that's the show this week episode eight in the books we'll be back next week uh i'm chad dunnis from espn.com that's been folks from MMAFighting.com, and we are out of here.
0: You think we're looking at a, a mass revolt with no Sir Nigel on, on this? I don't know, but it's,
1: it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. We're going to find out to what extent Sir Nigel is carrying Yeah, well, you know what